All right, we're in Genesis 11, verses 1 through 9. Let's give our attention to God's word. It says, Now the whole earth had one language and the same words. And as people migrated from the east, they found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. And they said to one another, Come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and bitumen for mortar. Then they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its tops in the heaven, with its top in the heavens. And let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the children of man had built. And the Lord said, Behold, they are one people, and they have all one language. And this is only the beginning of what they will do. And nothing that they propose to do will now be impossible for them. Come, let us go down, let us go down and there confuse their language, so that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord dispersed them from there over the face of all the earth, and they left off building the city. Therefore its name was called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of all the earth. And from there the Lord dispersed them over the face of all the earth. The grass withers, and the flowers fade away. And the Bible says that mankind, you and I, are like the grass that withers and the flowers that fade away. But the Word of God stands forever. So let me pray for us before we look at it further tonight. Father, your word, you tell us that your word will stand forever. And so what a, what a good thing that we do tonight to come and to hear your word. But Father, we have to admit that to hear your word, we're going to need for you to work. For you to, for you to intervene to open our ears so that we might hear and our eyes that we might see. So, Father, would you be gracious? Uh, We we trust that you will. Um, We know that your word goes out and it accomplishes its purposes, and so we pray that that would happen tonight, that it would soften our hearts. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so I don't know really why this particular memory came to my mind as I was working on this sermon and trying to come up with a good... uh, Good opening illustration as we like to do here. But I think it's probably because it's one of my earliest memories in which I learned a valuable lesson. And that's probably why it stuck with me. My granddad was a, an excellent woodworker. He could, you know, anything that you can make out of wood, he could do it. Um, and so when I was probably, I was probably six or seven, something like that, uh, I was with him a lot of Saturdays. I would go with him to his shop. And while he would work on something, you know, I would, I would do the same. And so this one day I was working on this basic, just, you know, your, your standard A-frame birdhouse, right? A little, you know, a little circle, a little hole in the front, birdhouse, A-frame, roof. I was working on that. He had helped me a little bit. And so it was time to do the roof, time to put the roof on. And so he asked me what my plan was. And I said, well, I want it to open, and he said, all right, well, we're going to have to put a hinge on it. And so I, being, of course, like six or seven and knowing pretty much most everything, I was aware of the concept how you could nail two boards together, right? If you just use one nail and you nail two boards together, that, that, they, that it'll swivel, right, around the nail, that those two boards will move, right, if you don't, if you don't nail it, you know, in any other place. And so I said, no, we don't need a hinge. We, it'll work. We can just nail it. And he said, no, it it will not work. You need a hinge. And I said, no, 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 it will work. 
And he said, of course, okay, go for it. And so I go and I nail the, you know, nail the roof on there, one nail, and I go to move it and it, it doesn't move. And so I pry it apart and I put the nail somewhere else, or I put it in the corner, and it, it still doesn't move. You get the idea. And I tried a few times and obviously it's not gonna work, right? No matter what I tried to do, it, it was hopeless, right? It, it was an exercise in futility. It was never going to work, trying to build it that way. And that is really what I want to suggest to you that this passage that we have before us tonight in Genesis is really all about. It's about futility. And specifically, it's about the, the futility of life as the seed of the serpent. Right? If you've been with us, you know that um, basically what we've seen throughout Genesis is that God built man in his image. To, uh, to, to reflect him, right? To, to take over the world and to, to spread his glory. And yet we decided, and Adam and Eve decided that they would, um, they would make decisions for themselves, that they wouldn't trust God. And so they entered into sin. And sin came into the world, and God said he was going to send a hero, right? And then from that moment on, right, the, and that hero was going to come from the seed of the woman, from Eve. And so from that moment on, Right, we've talked about that there are basically only two strands, or there are only two strands of, of people. Those that are of God, children of God, the, the seed of the woman, and those that don't trust him, the seed of the serpent, right? And so what we see here in this passage, I want to I wanna I wanna suggest to you, is that we see that the life of those that are outside of God are utterly futile. Right? That's, this is a snapshot, I think, of what it looks like to live as the seed of the serpent. And so as we study through Genesis, you know, every week we're saying we're going back to the beginning, right? It's, Genesis is like season one of all of life. Right? If you want to understand a TV show, you go back to the very beginning. And so that's what we're doing here. We're going back to the, to the back story, the very beginning. And we're going to see that we're going to see what it looks like, the futility of the life of the, of the seed of the serpent, or to live outside of, of God's kingdom. And so our outline tonight is pretty basic. We're going to, and look, tonight we have three points, which I don't know what's been up with the semester, but we've had a lot of two-pointers, which is, is sort of awkward for me. But um, we're back to three. So we're going to look at the problem of Babel. We're going to look at the result of Babel. And thirdly, we'll look at the grace of Babel. So first, the problem of Babel. Um, all right. So basically, to, to get started, to understand the problem of what's really going on here, we have to we have to remember the context. We have to remember where we are in Genesis. So you remember that wickedness, right? Adam and Eve sin, and, and sin comes into the earth, comes into the world, into people's hearts, and basically it just degenerates from there, right? And I believe it was last week we looked at, uh, at Noah and, and God flooding the earth because man's heart was, the inclinations of man's heart was only evil all the time, right? Evil was everywhere. And so he destroyed the earth with the flood, but he saved Noah and his family. And he's repopulating, he's repopulating the earth with Noah's family. And when he does that, we didn't read this, but in between then and what we have today, he tells Noah 
basically the same thing that he told Adam. You can look it up later, chapter 9, verses 1 through 7. He basically tells Noah, spread out over the whole earth. Fill the earth and subdue it, right? Go out into the whole world and be what you were created to be, which is my image. Reflect, reflect my love, reflect my creativity to the whole world. That's what he tells them. But you see what happens in verse 2, right? It says, as people migrated from the east, they found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. And so it goes on to describe that they decide to settle right here, stick together, and we're going to build a city, and more specifically, we're going to build a tower. And did you notice why they want to build a tower? Right? A lot of times you hear the story, and it's so that they could reach up to God, right? like physically you know, build a tower that tall. But the reason that they want to build the tower, the text is very clear, is that they want to make a name for themselves. They want to make a name for themselves. And they want to find safety and security so that they're not dispersed over the face of the whole earth. In other words, they do exactly the opposite of what God told them. Right? God says, go out everywhere and reflect my name. And they say, okay, we're going to settle right here, clump together, and build our name. That's the problem. But I want you to notice something. That since they've rejected God... And it's very clear, right, we could, you can look at it and go back in Genesis 10, and you see that this is the seed of the serpent, right? This is, this is a Nimrod, no kidding, look it up, it's really his name. This is Nimrod's lineage, it says he was, you know, his kingdom of Babel started, and then it tells the story of Babel. So this is, these are people that have rejected God, and I want you to notice that even though they, that as soon as they reject God and his mission, and, his mission, and their identity in him... They're desperate to find a replacement. You see that? In rejecting as much as they're able, in rejecting their image as his image bearer, they have to find something to replace their identity. They got, they got to figure out who they are, in other words. Right? Maybe they thought that they would feel free and very secure. Right? We're doing what we want to do. But they're actually, it's actually the opposite. They're afraid. They're afraid of being scattered. And so they've got to find something to settle down and put their roots around and, and, and find some sort, of, um, some sort of base layer, right? We've got to figure out who we are. We've got to figure out... We've got to make a name for ourselves so that we're okay. And so they decide they're going to do it in this tower, in this city. Basically, they look around and they say, look, we've got to find some way that we matter. And the way we're going to do that is this tower. People are going to see that and they're going to know like, oh, these are the, the Babylonians or whatever. Babylites. You're one, you're one of the Babylites. You made the tower. That's how they're going to make a name for themselves. Now look, this story is thousands of years old, but it, it certainly doesn't take you know, too long to see how this, this probably should resonate with us at least a little bit, right? I think we talk about this a lot at RUF, but the same is true for us. That you and I are all desperate. You and I are all desperate to, to matter. We all want to find some, it's just part of being human, right? We all want to find some way in which we have value. 
that we matter, that we're important, significant, right? And we all go about doing that in some form or fashion. It's not a question of if, but how. We all want to be somebody. We all want to try to make a name for ourselves. Um, And that's where all this fear and anxiety and insecurity comes from, right, in our lives. Just like with these people. They're terrified. So I want you to think about when do you feel insecure? When do you feel the most insecure? Maybe it's when you come to RUF. Maybe it's when you're in uh, a particular social setting. Maybe it's when you're getting your grades back. Fill in the blank. Maybe it's when you stand in front of the mirror and look at yourself. When is it that you feel insecure? Because I want you to think about when that is. I want you to think about why that is. Why do you feel insecure? Why do I feel insecure? And I think the answer is because... At the very bottom of it all, we want people to accept us. We want people to affirm us, right? We want to matter. And we know that if we don't, then we're insecure. Or if we're not sure if we do, then we're insecure. So we try to get rid of that fear and insecurity by trying to make a name for ourselves somehow, right? We'll do anything to get rid of that fear and that insecurity. And so the way we do that is say, all right, we got to figure out who we are. we got to be special, so let's figure it out. So how do you do it? What is it for you? How do you make a name for yourself? Is it, I hate to say, I feel like I say this every week, but is it by your grades? Is it by your looks, your athletic ability, your money, your personality, how cool you are, how good you are, right? Is it how much Bible you know? How much theology you know? What is it for you? How are you building your name at the end of the day? Uh, Some of you know that I I ask this question with some frequency uh, in one-on-ones. This is a good diagnostic. It's not 100%, but what guy or girl are you? And by that I mean, right, nobody wants to be that guy, so which guy are you, right? you got to figure that out. So by that I mean which... um, like, usually I say something like, uh, your friends would say, you're the what guy, right? You're the responsible guy. You're the funny guy. How would you fill in that blank? Because that might be a good tip-off as to where you're building your name, or at least one place you're looking to build your identity. Um, another way that you can get at that, begin to get at the things in your life where you're building your name. How do you console yourself? When things go wrong, right, uh, let's say you get a bad uh, grade back, bad paper or whatever, and grades aren't, really, like, you're not, you're not the smartest, right? That's not, that's not your thing. And so when you get, you get a bad grade back, how do you console yourself? What do you think about? You think, all right, yeah, yeah I mean, I'm not, I'm not the grade guy, right? Like, a, look, I know that. It's okay. But at least I've got my girlfriend, At least I'm athletic. At least I've got the money I need. How do you console yourself? At least I'm a part of that group, that fraternity or sorority. All right, so look, there it is. There's the problem of Babel and the problem that you and I face too, right? 
We've got to figure out a name for ourselves, and we all do it. And we tend to look anywhere and everywhere but the God that made us. So what's the result of doing that? Point two, what's the result of Babel and the result of our own identity finding or identity making, I guess? Yeah, what's the result of rejecting God and our identity? Um, Well, it's exactly what we said at the beginning. It's a life of futility. Right? In, In a lot of ways, I think that's the focal point of this story. I think that's what it's trying to highlight. That when we reject God, when we reject his mission for us, when we reject our identity as his image bearer, and we try to build our own identity, our own name, that really what we're going to find is that our work is really just futile. That doing that doesn't amount to anything. All right, so even the way that the, the Hebrew, right, the Old Testament is written in Hebrew, the way the Hebrew is structured, it highlights verse 5. It says, And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the children of man had built. Now that may not, you know, uh, set off any flags at first, right, at first reading. But at least, you know, most scholars seem to agree that, that this is meant to be sarcastic. So think about this, right? What are these people trying to do? They're trying to build a tower, right? We've built a tower with its top in the heavens. And so God says... All right, so now let's go down and look at this. And you get the picture that God, you know, infinitely high and lifted up on his throne, high in the heavens, that he wants to come down and that he wants to uh, see this tower, right, that's almost to the heavens. And it's basically the picture of him having to get down and come way, like bend way over and look. And so you kind of get the picture that it's like, Oh, look at your little tower. <laughs> Tops in the heavens, like that is precious, right? That's not what it said, right? Not, not crediting those words and that kind of sarcasm to God. But I think that is somewhat the flavor, actually. It's actually meant to be sarcastic. This was the best thing that they could do. They, they put every minute they had, every drop of sweat, everything in their whole life went into this tower. It was amazing. It was way better than, you know, the tower in the other cities. And God basically has to come along and stoop way down and look at it and say like, oh yeah, look at that. So tall, right? I think you get the idea that that their very best efforts were a joke. Right, If if they're trying to in relation to the, to the eternal, right? In relation to the majesty of God, their best efforts are embarrassing. It's a joke. They're trying to be special. They're trying to matter in an eternal sense. And, and, and this, is, this is the result, right? It, it doesn't even move the, move the needle. I got a couple of illustrations of... I'm going to go with this one. Uh, maybe we'll do both. But some, a couple of you might have heard this before. But so my senior year, maybe uh, no, that's not true. The year after I graduated from college, so a little bit ago, I went to uh, I came to Texas, not to this school, not to this fair university, to visit um, a, a good friend of mine who was working on a campus. And it was a football weekend, and so we went to we were going to go to the football game, and we went to the tailgate that they were 
that they were uh, having. And so I go to the tailgate with my friend, and I paid $3, and I got a George Foreman grilled burger and a little bag of chips and like a solo cup of Coke. And so I'm standing there, you know, having my, my snack. And, and so this guy comes up to us, he's kind of hosting the tailgate, and he says, so he's friends with my friend, and he comes up and he's like, hey, pretty cool tailgate, huh? And I said, thanks for having us, we appreciate it. He's very careful in my words. Didn't say, yes, it's a great tailgate, and I said, thanks for having us. And so he, we chatted for a minute, and he walked off, and my friend said, thanks for not, uh, you know, for not going into too much depth on that. Because look, here's the deal. I and my friend, right, that I was there with, we went to Ole Miss. And now look, this is why this may not be a good illustration because this is not Ole Miss and you don't know what it's like. (laughs) Google it, right? The social scene at Ole Miss on game day is second to none in the country, okay? It's called the Grove. People tailgate. You've got like 75,000 people that tailgate right? There, even during the game, there are oftentimes more people outside the stadium at the tailgate. It's in a beautiful setting. Everybody's tent uh, is, is, like, look, you get the best food there is. People work hard. They bring amazing food. It is not uncommon to see tents with chandeliers hanging in them, direct TV hookups so you can watch the game because they'd rather stay at the party than go to the game. Um, everybody's dressed up and everything is free. You just get to walk around and have the best food and talk to people, and it's unbelievable. And so here I am at, te- at you know, this Texas school, and he says, <laughs> it's true, it's a Texas school. There are other schools that start with te. <laughs> and so I'm at this school, and I get a burger, some chips, I paid $3 for it. Right? And he's like, pretty good tailgate, huh? And it was like I wanted to be able to take him and say, like, look, you have no idea. Right? You don't even know how far off the mark you are. Right? Like, this is, is it fine? Yeah, it's fine. But, but if you're talking about great tailgate, this doesn't even sniff it. Right? Is that... This is a terrible illustration, maybe, but... All right, that was a good one. All right, good. Yes. Trying to make a name for myself here. Look, so you get the idea, right? You get the idea. Um, that's, just a, that's just a little taste of what, what God's saying here. Look, this is your very best effort, and it doesn't even scratch the surface. Right? This is your tower... And I, I got to come down just to even see it. So what does that mean for us? Well, I think it should help give us some perspective on our attempts, right, as we try to define our own identities apart from God. I think it should help us to see that, that our very best efforts are ridiculous in relation to the eternal God, in relation to His holiness and His majesty. Um, it should begin to give us some humility. It should show us that our, that, our efforts, that our efforts to make a name for ourselves that are going to resonate for all eternity, quite frankly, are a joke. That it's an embarrassment. 
It means that there, it means that there are no big shots in the kingdom of God. It means that you and I are not that big a deal. In and of ourselves. Right? To think that we can take our grades or our money or the number of friends we have or how cool we are or how, you know, how anything that we are, that we can take those things and sort of cobble them together and go to God and say, look, here's what I've got. And for it to be enough to matter in an ultimate sense is really a joke. It begins to show us what it looks like and show us how futile it is. That even our very best efforts don't don't move the needle at all. And so in the end, right, so that's actually, that's actually why they, they thought they were doing a good job making a name for themselves. But even, so even, even when we think that it's working for us, right, we have to have some reflection to see it's, it's really a waste. But we see even more in the story, right? There's, there's more result because God comes down and, and then he confuses their language, and so really in the end, the, the result of trying to build a name for themselves, and when we try to build a name for ourselves, it really only results in confusion and frustration. Right? It, it just doesn't work. Even when it seems like it is working, ultimately it, it's going to come unraveled. It's futile. And the reason that is, is because, at least one reason that is, is because anything that we try to put our name in, build our name around, other than, other than the God of this universe, is unstable. It's going to change. It's going to go away. Or it's going to shift on you in, in some form or fashion. I can remember sitting in my orientation, this was almost right at 20 years ago, my orientation at Ole Miss, and the guy, the speaker at our, you know, whatever you call it, he says, all right, I want, you to, I want you to think of your high school GPA. And now I want you to turn to the person to your, to your left, and I want you to tell them your high school GPA. Like, take a second and do it. So we all do that. It's really awkward. And so we do it. And he said, okay, that was the last time your high school GPA ever matters in the whole rest of your life. <laughs> And you know what? He's dead right. All that you worked for, right? You know, everything that you worked for in high school goes towards that GPA. Building your resume for college, right? Bad things that go on your permanent record, wherever that is. <laughs> Everything's working towards that GPA, and, and then what does it matter? It, it doesn't. Now look, that's not to say, don't try hard in school, your grades don't matter. But if... If you had built everything on your high school GPA, which plenty of people do, right? You're sitting in that auditorium, and all of a sudden, where are you? Square one, right? And I got news for you. If you're doing that with your college GPA, same thing's true. Again, study hard, make good grades. That's not what I'm saying. But if you build your identity on it in an eternal sense... It's not going to matter ultimately, right? It can't support the weight of your identity. Does that make sense? Because I'm going to be honest, my college GPA does not matter now. Because I went to seminary, and your seminary GPA really doesn't matter. 
So we're going to, um, yeah, they're, they're, they're unstable. Um, yeah, one, one day you're in the in crowd and you feel good, right? That's who you are. You're the popular guy. And, and then your friend group switches. Your grades go up and down. Uh, one day you're dating that person and life is good. And that's who you are. And then they break up with you. And, and your identity is crumbled. Yeah, it's nothing, in the end, it's nothing but confusion and frustration. What, eight weeks you've been wondering when I was going to take a sip of that? (laughs) All right, so thirdly and finally, let's look at the grace at Babel. Because it may not seem like there's much grace here, but uh, I believe that there is. And actually, strangely enough, it's what we just talked about, that God comes down. Right, last week in the flood, we talked about how God brings judgment. And yet, we actually saw that there's a lot of grace sort of weaved through, um, actually by virtue of, the very fact that judgment comes. And here, in a lot of ways, it's the same thing. So God comes down and he confuses their language, right? He, he gives them all different languages so that they all of a sudden don't know what they're talking about and they can't work together, right? The confusion that we just talked about. And so they're forced to, to disperse, right? They're forced to spread out. It's actually, you see that God's judgment on them is actually causing what he intended the whole time. He intended, he told them, spread out, you know, subdue the whole earth. And they don't do it. It's like, all right, I'm going to force you to do this. So what does that mean for us? How do we see grace in that? Well, sometimes God frustrates our efforts at chasing our dreams, at building a name for ourselves, because he loves us. Because he's gracious. I listened to a campus minister friend of mine that was preaching on this. And he actually told his group, he said, I am praying, I'm actively praying for some of you to make a B and not an A. He said, I'm actually actively praying for some of you to gain weight. Don't want to lose it. He said, I'm... I'm just going to be very honest. I am actually asking God for some of those things for you. And the reason I'm doing that is because you're trying to build your life around that thing and it will not support it. And so he's doing nothing more than what you see here in this passage, asking for God's grace to come and enter the situation. Because sometimes God's grace comes and it looks like that. Right? Sometimes the best thing God can do for us is to not give us what we want, but rather change what it is that we want. Does that make sense? Right? We want God to give us A's or dollars or a husband or wife or whatever, but we're really only, what we're really looking for in those things is, is it's only what we can find in God, in His definition of us. Right? You may be familiar with G.K. Chesterton's uh, quote that, Something along the lines of every man that has ever knocked on the door of a brothel ultimately was looking for Jesus. Right, you see the point? That guys going there for what? Some sort of illicit sexual activity. But fundamentally, what's really at the heart of that is his need for Jesus. And the same is true for us and whatever it is for us, right? And so sometimes God does destroy our dreams. 
Sometimes you do gain 10 pounds and you don't have the body that you have to have so that it breaks you and you begin to see that actually you don't have anything and it forces you to turn to God and see what He offers you because He offers you a love and an acceptance and an identity that doesn't vary with the number on the scale. But he offers you a love and an identity that's unwavering. All right, let's, end, let's wind it up with this. How does that happen? How does it play out? Well, we see that God disperses these people across the earth like he intended. But, but that's not the end of the story, right? At least, at least biblically. Across the whole scope of scripture. In Zephaniah 3.9, Zephaniah 3.9, God says this. For at that time I will change the speech of the peoples to a pure speech. That all of them may call upon the name of the Lord and serve him with one accord. From beyond the rivers of Cush, my worshipers, the daughter of my dispersed one, shall bring my offering. And then in the New Testament, in Acts, in chapter 2, right, you see something amazing happen. After Jesus is crucified, after he raises from the dead, after he ascends to heaven, right, his followers are gathered in, in uh, Jerusalem, and the Holy Spirit comes. And when the Holy Spirit shows up, Right? Peter starts to preach a sermon. And there are people from every nation under heaven that are gathered there. Where is it? Acts 2, 4 through 8. Um, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Uh, yeah, we don't have time to read it, but you can look it up. Acts 2, 4 through 8. But basically what happens is God sends His Holy Spirit to, un, in a sense, undo that judgment and work the opposite way. So that, so that now people that, that did speak different languages are now hearing the same language. And what are they hearing? They're hearing the good news of Jesus Christ. They're hearing the good news that Peter had for them. That even though they were sinners that crucified God himself, that there is grace and mercy to be found in him. That they could turn to God, they could turn to Jesus, and they could find forgiveness and love and acceptance. And that's the same good news that's offered to me and you. It's the same good, it's the good news that offers us an identity, what Paul says over and over, which is in Christ. That you can find your identity, you can make your name for your, your name for yourself can be his name. You can find your identity wrapped up in him. I have, uh, I've actually had a couple of friends that have told me similar stories. Uh, one of them, uh, quite seriously, um, and listen, I, I don't mean this, there's a sense in which you could take this as humorous, and, and, and maybe it is slightly, but, so don't take it that way, because it's actually quite serious, but a friend of mine told me that he grew up, that for the first several years of his life that he can remember, he honestly thought that his name was Dammit. Because of the way his parents talked to him. Because they would say things like, Come here, damn it. And damn it, what did you do? And he said, I honestly thought, it was actually a, it was actually a far more offensive word. He said, I actually thought my name was damn it. So maybe you could resonate with that a little bit. Hopefully not with your family, but. But maybe you feel like the name that you've built for yourself really doesn't amount, like if you're honest with yourself, it doesn't amount to much more 
than, than something like failure or disappointment or loser or freak or whatever it is. And I want you to hear that if you feel that way, if you feel like, yeah, my name, that, that's what I've amassed for myself. That's my identity. That's who I am, if I'm honest. I want you to hear that this good news is for you. That your identity, that you can have a new name. That Jesus offers you His identity. Not one that's kind of good, not one that's really great. His identity. Let me end with this. Gosh, we've gone way too long. Let me end with this uh, last verse from Revelations. Revelation, singular. Revelation 22.4. Last book of the Bible. This is talking about believers finally getting to, to see God in heaven. Listen to what he says. They will see His face... And his name will be on their foreheads. Right? God offers you his name to stamp it on you so that that's your identity. And if that, if that is your identity, that's one that does not change ever. It doesn't change with your grades or with your friend group or with the job that you have or don't have. It's utterly stable. It doesn't go anywhere. And it's absolutely free for you to take. That's an invitation. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you for that fact. Thank you for the truth that you, that you give us a new identity. And you do it for free. Forgive us for the ways that we build our own name. Lord Jesus, would you give us the grace to see that? And when we don't see that, would you somehow force us to see it? So that we might see you and your grace and mercy. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.